This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Eric Barnes and Jack Frew. Hello and welcome to Episode 3 of the Laravel News Podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about uh, the new Laravel Quick Start Guides, some new features coming to Laravel 5.2, Bootstrap SaaS with Elixir, why developers hate being interrupted, a Laravel tagging package, and passwords. I'm your host, Eric Barnes. And I'm Jack Frew. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Today, we're going to start off with the Laravel Quick Start Guides. And Jack, I understand that you've uh, tried to go through these guides, and can you tell us about that? Yeah, Eric, there's there's two new tutorials as of the time that we went to, you know, to record this, the basic task list and the intermediate task list. They're both written by Taylor Otwell himself, which is kind of cool. And what I did is I just went through the website and kind of followed the steps step by step. Uh, my goal was to see if I could learn anything, and, and I did. And then, you know, the other thing is just to kind of be able to talk about it. So uh, one, one thing that I will say is I, I had some things that I noted that weren't real obvious to me that I, you know, I probably had to spend a little bit of time on. By the way, just for time estimate, I'd say it took me maybe 30 minutes to go through the first tutorial and maybe like another 10 minutes of troubleshooting things that didn't work for me, right? Things that, you know, maybe it was a typo or whatever. So um, let's, let's go over some things I, I did. I use uh, MAMP, which is an app on the Macintosh that uh, has kind of like its whole environment. I'm, I'm not a Homestead user. So for me, I had to make some changes to my .env file, right? I had to set the host, the DB host to 127.0.0.1. For some reason, I've heard that on MAMP or whatever, like local host doesn't work, you have to use that IP address. And then I did colon 8889, which is the default MAMP port, right? For for my machine, I needed to use sudo for the composer stuff to work. Like, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to, but for the way my permissions are set, I had to use sudo. After that was done, I still seemed like I had some permissions issues. Probably not the right thing to do. I just blew them all away and put seven 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 and 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 clean you know the whole directory down is now is now set and then that made things work great. But interestingly, before I did that, my um, was it my migration? Like one of the commands to create something, uh, one of the artisan commands failed. Like it didn't even say it failed. It just didn't say that it created what it was supposed to. Uh, let's see, what else did I do wrong? Mamp. I pointed it to the folder that I downloaded, like the you know the the Laravel project to, and that's a no no. It actually has to point to the public folder, right? So the first time I tried to test it, it didn't work. I was like, oh, what's going on here, right? I think that's uh, that's pretty much it. There were a couple of directories that had to be created, but you can kind of infer that you know from the documentation and all that stuff. So so that was my experience with it. Overall, it was a great it's a great learning experience. I think it's it's uh it's always great to pull down a fresh copy of the brand new you know latest and greatest and kind of work with a little bit. And I, I don't know about you, but Eric, but I, I always get kind of, uh, I, I get kind of revved up. Like when this, you know, when I'm trying it, I'm like, you know, it gets me into the groove. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to learn this stuff, you know? Uh, so I, I have a good time with it. Now the intermediate one, basically everything I just told you, same kind of fixes, uh, you know, apply to that. That one goes into some nice permission stuff, Eric. He's got actually security trimmed permission on the delete task button. So he actually shows you how to set up a validator and how to you know set it up so that only the user who owns that task can delete it, and that's really really helpful because that's like kind of like the first step of multi-tenancy, right? Multi-tenancy being like you're going to have an app that's not just for one person but for a bunch of people, and you have to keep one person from overwriting or deleting somebody else's stuff, right? So uh, I thought that was I thought that was a pretty good thing. I, I liked it. Yeah, yeah, they both seem really good, and I, I do like how the 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 intermediate one actually starts touching on all these other areas. 
And then I'm assuming, I think he's mentioned on Twitter that he's going to have an advanced one coming out. So that that should actually get into a lot more API stuff because another rumor is he's going to integrate Vue.js. Oh, okay. So that, that'll be nice. And then, of course, I do have a solution to all your problems here. Oh, do you? Yeah, it's uh, you use Homestead, and then you don't, and then you don't have to worry about it. I was just going to say, is it use Homestead? You know, so I have to say, I was going to use Homestead for this. Like, I, I thought about it. I have VMware, and I, I've heard that VMware and VirtualBox don't play well together. But I thought about buying the connector for uh, Vagrant. It's like 75 bucks or something like that. That wasn't what kept me doing it. What kept me from doing it is when I went through the Homestead documentation on the Laravel website, there's like 20 steps. And I was like, I can do this in like two steps right now. So I kind of took the the shortcut. But I will point out, uh, Eric is right. And the reason that Eric is right is, is actually something you wouldn't necessarily think of. On the Mac, if you use MAMP, okay, and you use it on a default installation, uh, what happens is the case sensitivity behavior of both the database and the web server take up the properties of the underlying disk that they're installed on. And by default, Mac OS X, the disk is not actually case sensitive, right? It might display in mixed case, you can do upper and lower, but it doesn't, it doesn't care about the case, right? So what has happened to me in the past that Eric is advising us not to do is I type in my code and everything works great on the Mac. And then I go and give it to somebody else to put on their server and it's a disaster, right? The thing I think that's great about Homestead is I think that their OS by default has case sensitivity, which is typically what you find in Linux hosting. And and Eric, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like what comes up in Homestead is basically the exact same set of, like whatever template creates your Homestead box is the same template that is used on Laravel Forge which is Taylor's system for provisioning servers out in the out in the internet, right? Is that does that sound right? Right, yeah, that's correct. And I believe it's Ubuntu. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure the version, but yeah, it's it's pretty much the same setup. And what I really like about Homestead more than anything is because I used to use MAMP, is installing all these PHP extensions. You know, you can just SSH into your Vagrant machine or your Homestead machine and, you know, sudo php install ldap or whatever you need and and it's there and you don't have to fiddle around with anything on your mac or anything like that oh that's a good point so that that's what i really enjoy most is you know not having my mac cluttered with stuff everywhere that i don't know what i've done yeah yeah and i should add just in case there is somebody listening who is still using map and and this doesn't convince you to do it uh one of the things i had to do because i'm using map is i had to change my path so that my command prompt would pull the PHP version from MAMP and not the PHP version that ships with OS X. Because when it did that, there was missing some security thing and then and then like none of the stuff worked, right? So maybe maybe what we'll do for the next episode is Jack's gonna have a little experiment in installing this homestead thing and finding out what it's all about. Yes. It's funny because you mentioned all the problems that I experienced like two years ago on, on MAMP and then when Homestead came out, you know, now it's I don't even have to think about those anymore. I feel like I feel like what I want to do though is I want to like get a brand new VM so that it's not cluttered in any way, and I want to go side by side screen recording like one of installing MAMP from the beginning and making the changes to the OS and then running something, and then the other doing the same thing in, in Homestead just to see which is actually quicker, right? Because you know the, the Homestead does not look like an easy install like that. I'm not looking forward to that. Well, once it, once it's set up, though, the way it can support multiple sites, it's basically like a MAMP for, you know, 
for Vagrant or whatever. And and so once it's set up once, then you can just add in all the new sites you want. And it, it's pretty simple from that point forward. Yeah. Are you running yours on VMware or do you use VirtualBox? I use uh, the free one. I think that's VirtualBox. That's VirtualBox. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I use it just because it's simpler. Awesome. Go download it for free and be done. I, I feel like Forrest Gump, you know, I think that's all I have to say about that. So uh, <laughs> what what else do we have on the uh, agenda for today? Uh, all right. So let's uh, talk about some new features coming to Laravel 5.2. So far, he has announced that some new features are implicit model binding. The second one is output from scheduled task. And what that does is, you know, when, when you run a, a Chrome job for the, the scheduler, which is Laravel's own internal Chrome system that kind of runs, you have scheduler called once a minute, and then the the com- scheduler command will actually handle all the scheduling. So in the example, he has a, a command that runs daily, and then you just call append output to, and then the file path, and then as it runs, it just appends everything to that file. So that'll be handy for like debugging or seeing what all's been ran. So is it kind of like a running log then, in a sense, like it yeah. just captures like the screen output? Right, yeah, exactly. Okay. And then the third thing is a new array validation. And that, I believe, is actually coming from Taylor creating all these quick start tutorials. Yeah, and that's uh, that's that's like kind of dear to your heart, right? Didn't you write something like that? You had to deal with that once before. Yes, yes. Actually, I have a friend, uh, Jesse Shutt. He, he contacted me. He's like, how would you do array validation in Laravel with, you know, translating the language strings? So I went through and tried to figure it all out and then wrote a post up about it. And previously, it was it was kind of a clunky process. You had to kind of for each through all the through all the items and then create your own language string. I wanted to just interject something here because I actually had to ask Eric. I'm like, what is what are they talking about here? What is this array validation? We're talking about a form. You've got like an HTML form, and normally you don't need array validation because you have like one field for your name and one field for your phone number, one field for your email. Array validation would be something where maybe you have a form that's like an invoice and you have ten spots. And it's like item one, item two, item three, item four, item five. So that's what we're talking about here is, is there an easier way to validate that all at once instead of having to put 10 validators down, right? So go ahead, Eric. I just wanted to interject that because like I said, if I figure if I, if I missed it, other people might have as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One common uh, thing I think of is like when you have, you know, maybe you're inviting people and, and you want them to enter email addresses. So you have a kind of an array field for email, and then you you have a little JavaScript button that says add more, and then it loads more input fields, and then and that's kind of the the common use case I see from it. But uh, but yeah, so before it was kind of clunky, and now what he's done is just made it super simple. The common Laravel theme, you know, is just kind of alleviating de- developer pain points. So it uh, definitely does that. He has definitely Laravelized it. And uh, actually, I think he was, uh, I hate to say this, I think he was a little bit proud of it too. Because I saw a tweet that some, something like, it's still artisan approved or something like that, right? Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I didn't see that one. I seen the one where he he, uh, he did a reaction. And it was like, you know, just shaking his head, going crazy. It was great. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was funny. Yeah, if. If you uh, if you see the video, it looks like he's being electrocuted. Is what it looks like. <laughs> Pretty cool. So, um, Eric, why don't you tell us about this Bootstrap SaaS Elixir business that you uh, you wrote about here? Yeah. So, when uh, to give you a little backstory, when Elixir first came out, when it was first um, announced, I created a, a tutorial with setting up Bootstrap SaaS and Elixir. And back then, it was kind of a whole different setup. I used uh, Bower and then I used uh, NPM and then I used something else. And it was just this whole convoluted process. 
And then over time, what I've seen is since that was at Laravel 5.0, and then later on, Bootstrap was actually included in Laravel. And then in this most recent 5.1, it was removed again. So that, that actually, the original tutorial started getting a lot of traffic from people, you know, having problems installing it and so forth. So I decided to revisit that and write it with the best practices today. And it's it's really super simple. You just kind of include uh, Bootstrap from your NPM, from your package.json, which is actually by default included. And then um, inside your uh, style sheet, you just kind of reference the uh, node modules folder to where Bootstrap installs. And then everything happens. It pulls it in and, and it's good to go. And it, it's kind of amazing how how much simpler Elixir makes uh, Gulp and the whole asset compilation thing. It's kind of it's kind of great. I uh, I have to I have to like confess here. I've never used any of that stuff. Like I, I'm sure I will someday, but right now I haven't used it. And I I understand what SAS is. If you're if you I'm sure everybody listening to this probably knows more than I do about the stuff. But uh, SAS is right is essentially it's CSS, but not CSS. You have to run it through a compiler before it comes valid CSS, but it allows you to use things like variables so that you can set like a color variable and use that in thirty different places in your CSS and stuff like that. And then is Elixir the piece that automatically compiles that? Is that what that does? Well, sort of. Elixir sits on top of uh, Gulp. Okay. And Gulp actually handles all of it. So Elixir is kind of like a simplified version of Gulp that kind of packages up all the tasks that you commonly will use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me personally, I've so far just downloaded the actual, like, you know, bootstrap and just used whatever they gave me and did didn't customize it or anything like that. Right. Just throw the CDN in there and be done. Right. That's exactly <laughs> what I've done. Eric, I feel like I should have interrupted you more on that last story as a lead into the next story. Do you uh, you want to tell us what's next on the list? <laughs> yeah. So next up is uh, why developers hate being interrupted. And, and, and tell us, Eric, why is that? Why do you hate being interrupted? Why is it bad for me to... Uh, you know, constantly send you emails and, uh, and why is it that you have a special place in your heart for a person that sends you an email and then comes over to your desk to tell you they sent the email right afterwards? Tell us about that. What does that do to your day? Oh, well, <laughs> I guess, uh, it just gets you out of your groove more than anything. And then it takes you, you know, the next 20 minutes to get back into it. And then by then it's lunchtime. Yeah. And then, and then after lunch, you get back into your rhythm again. And then of course that same person sends you another email. <laughs> And I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, we probably actually don't need to tell you why we hate being interrupted, right? Uh, but what might be of benefit is that this article, and and there's a link to it in the show notes, um, it might actually have some stuff that would be useful for you to give to coworkers or your boss or other people that you work with, right? Because it's one thing to complain about a problem. It's another to actually be proactive and try to maybe get some remedy to the problem, right? Um, Eric, where, where where you work, have you guys ever deliberately tried to implement a system to allow the developers to have a little bit more uninterrupted time? Like, is there a, a blackout period of the day or do you have a routine where maybe you don't, you know, uh, impulsively check email every five minutes, but you set aside time to, you know, like this is my, my development time. Like how have you dealt with it? I typically, for me personally, I just don't have email open until lunchtime and then open it again, you know, sometime in mid afternoon. That way I can get caught up on everything. How about you? At my company, we we have uh, like a stand up in the morning, and we try to get it away, you know, out of the way early. It's a uh, it's a little bit later than I would like, but we've got we've got different people that have to kind of coordinate onto the call. But once that's done, usually then you know we have the rest of the day to kind of organize our our time and not have to worry about being 
um, at least not being interrupted by scheduled meetings, right? I mean, there's still going to be people that call, but yeah, I feel like I'm that dog on the movie Up uh, from Pixar where, you know, he could be talking to you one minute and then he's like, squirrel, you know, um, because I'm very easily distracted. And that actually maybe kind of goes on to another topic. I wonder, you know, uh, so here's, here's the thing. This is different from the article, but I wonder how many folks are in a situation where they kind of have to have everything cleared off of their, their desk, their inbox, their, you know, their Twitter feed, their head before they can be effective developers. Like I know some people that can sit down in a pile of squalor and they can start coding. Right. And like, there's unanswered emails and there's tasks that need to be done and, you know, help desk tickets that are like people are screaming and they can just ignore all that. I'm like the opposite of that. Like I'm like, if there's stuff that needs to be done, like that just in the back of my mind, it's like an extra CPU core is just running at hundred percent worrying about those things. And until I get that stuff cleaned up, I can't focus on the code, you know, uh, which is probably a detriment on my part, I think. But, you know, Eric, what do you think? Do you, do you ever have anything like that happen to you? And do you think it's common? Like, is that, is that like a one in 10 thing? Is it like one in a hundred? Am I like the only one period? Eric is, by the way, if you can see Eric, you can't see it, but we're, we're on Skype right now. And Eric is laughing. I think what he's thinking secretly inside is Jack, you are the only one. And you might want to consider a job at Walmart saying hello to people. <laughs> a greeter. I, well, I was going to say I'm the actually complete opposite. Like when I get focused on something, there's my wife can be standing here beside me screaming at me and I'm not even going to notice or oh wow it's not going to bother me yeah. at all or anything like that so so once i get focused then that's it then that's all my mind is on and it won't it won't go away from that oh perfect perfect okay <laughs> well then it is just me so good to know uh, <laughs> note to self cut that whole last segment you know oh no no it's good i'll be like applying for a job one day and they'll be like we have one one, one concern here and that is that you said on a podcast once that you uh you can't focus if anything's going on so we're going to uh, light a fire around you and we want you to develop a Fibonacci sequence or whatever. You know. <laughs> yeah. Now, so. now it really d- it depends too on you know what the what I'm actually supposed to be working on too. You know, so if it's something kind of random yeah. that's really hard and confusing, then it actually takes me a little bit more time to get into it. But if it's just something I know I, I've got to get done, then it then it my brain switches into the other mode. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. So anyway, we probably went overboard on that topic, but the 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 basic deal is yeah, it seems that if if developers are better off being left generally speaking alone and if you are a developer and you're not getting enough alone time have a look at those articles and see if any of the things that are in there will help you there was a really nice picture i think that uh that really summed it up pretty nicely for like the average person who maybe doesn't understand that coming over to tell you that they sent you an email is actually going to be very disruptive to your day so good stuff what eric what do we have up next up next is a laravel tagging package and this actually comes from a tutorial i wrote as i mentioned in the Actually, episode one of our podcast, I created a new little links area to Laravel News. That's right. And one of the things that I wanted to add was tagging for, you know, when you add your resource, you can add tags to it. So as I went through and built that, I decided to go ahead and create that into into a tutorial. And uh, that's where where that actually that post came about. And what it was is there's lots of packages out there for tagging. So I took it a a step further and implemented a tagging package. And then in, integrated um, a JavaScript library, and that way you can kind of see how the whole process would would end up looking and, and acting. I don't know where you find the time to do all this, man. That is just awesome. Uh, I, I love that you did that. That's fantastic. Everybody, send send Eric five dollars. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I'm getting a system down to where whenever I'm working on something, I'm I'm actually thinking about how to write a tutorial based on what I'm working on. Every yeah, and it's just funny how your your mind switches. You know, the more you write and the more you you learn. 
It's interesting that you say that because I remember hearing a podcast with Taylor Otwell where he talked about um, how he would work on Laravel back in the early days when he was doing it in the evening. And he said that uh, what ended up happening is that, you know, he'd be driving to the store and thinking about some problem, you know, and and how is he going to solve it? So that when he actually sat down in the evening to do it, it wasn't like that was the first time he was addressing the problem. He'd been thinking about it, you know, all day long. And almost, you know, many times knew exactly what he was going to write to solve the problem, you know, that evening, right? So, uh, so you know, um, that's awesome. So you guys have something yeah. in common that way. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, for me, all the writing is the same way because you think about it as you're working, and then when it's time to to actually create something, then you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be simple. So you just kind of bang it out and hit publish. Awesome. So, uh, anything else to say or add for the tagging or? Uh, no, just uh, check out that tutorial if you want to add tagging to your app. Um, I know that's kind of a, a common occurrence these days, so so give that a look over. Nice, nice. Next up, there was uh, quite a bit of chatter about passwords in the last couple of weeks, right? You've got a couple of articles that you put on your newsletter and on your website uh, about forcing complex passwords in Laravel. And then uh, there was, wasn't there one more? Yeah, there there was actually, I, I posted that one first. It was uh, how to force more complex passwords in Laravel. And then somebody else wrote a uh, an updated article that said, uh, stop forcing your password rules on me. Right. Basically saying, even though it was more complex, it was not, in the end, more complex. And then there was one more. Uh, there was an article about sending, like, password reset emails or something like that, too. You had that in there as well. I think there was something about that in there. Right, yeah, yeah. That, that was actually a problem we ran into, which was not really about the password itself. It was just more of we had people not receiving them, so we needed to add... Uh, the plain text password and the HTML password reset emails. So that's that's where that one came from. Yeah, yeah, so I, that's helpful though because everybody's going to run into that, right? So, yeah, the article on the stop forcing your password rules on me actually made uh, he made a pretty good argument. His well, that was was that random or was that actually in response to your first article? Do you know? Uh, it was actually yeah, it was in response. Yeah. Oh, was it okay? Because there, there was like I saw a couple of. Uh, you know, people posted it on the, the, you know, the, the comments, but that was actually a full blown article. And that guy actually did a pretty nice job. He had some sample, you know, images and things like that up there where he had put passwords through a, a website. Apparently there's a website you can go to and you put in a hypothetical password and it'll tell you how long it'll take to crack it. Right. right. Of course, once you put your password in there, you almost have to assume it's been cracked immediately. Cause at that point, like, you know, if, if someone's collecting hashes and stuff, right. You know, like, I would never put my real password in there, but yeah, the the longer the password, the better. Generally, seems to be the, the 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 commentary there. Yes, uh, true. And then of course, you know, it all comes back down to the user. Uh, they're always going to pick a crappy password anyway. So, are we really doing anything? Yeah, you know what I've always uh, heard for for a couple of years now is that you should really think of it not as a password but as a passphrase, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, Jane went to the store to buy something from Target. It's fairly easy to remember. And actually, oddly enough, it'll actually be fairly easy to type once you do it, you know, a dozen times or so. Um, but the length of that is makes it highly unlikely that somebody uh, has a hash for that already because computing hashes is exponentially uh, time consuming the, the more characters you add to it. So uh, maybe there's something that we can do as developers where we, you know, instead of using the word password, you could say, you know, passphrase and have an example or something so that people start to, ordinary people and users start to get an idea of, oh, I could do that instead, you know. And obviously, we can accommodate that by allowing fairly, you know, pretty long passwords, right? If, if you're limiting it to, I don't think any of us would do it, but if, if you're limiting your passwords to eight characters, uh, you know, that's, it's all over, right? So, 
Yeah, that's like a bank website or something. Oh God, yeah, don't say that. Don't don't say yeah. that. What what really annoys me about passwords on banks is uh, I use one password to keep track of everything, but like I have two bank accounts, and each one the username is a password text field. So like one password doesn't want to auto. Oh, it doesn't know what it is. Yeah. And, and by the way, Eric, Eric is going to put his password and his bank account numbers in the show notes for you to, uh, you know, yes, download. Yes, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, so, th- so that is one, one really highly annoying thing for me. It makes it, you're trying to do the right thing and they're making it harder on you to do the right thing. And that's just annoying to me. It, yeah, I've had, I've run into that before too. I, I won't say where, but it's, it's plagued me as well. So, <laughs> so that's kind of the end of the Laravel related news. Now we have a couple other things we wanted to share with you. Uh, first of all, um, Google is going to be adding podcasts at some point to the Android operating system. They've already announced it and they've invited people to submit. And Eric, I think you uh, you submitted, but you got some feedback from them right away, didn't you? Right. Yeah. They they actually said we were approved. It took a took about a day, and they come back and said we were approved. So we will be in there as soon as it launches. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting because I think uh, podcasting in general has been a Apple phenomenon, right? So Mm -hmm. Google's adopted it. And uh, for those of you, again, not Laravel related, but for those of you who care about this kind of stuff, what was really interesting to a lot of folks was that Google actually called it podcasting. And the pod in podcasting actually comes from the iPod. Interesting. So it was actually a pretty big move for them to do that, right? And when when they were asked about it, they said, yeah, you know, we thought about calling it, you know, internet radio or something else. And we were like, we just want to keep the term consistent so people know what it is. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so so that was pretty cool. The other thing I wanted to share with you is we have our, our first five-star review on the App Store. So I thought that was, you know, a props off to, uh, it looks like Nike Fido wrote, the soothing voices of Eric and Jack. Gotta love the Southern twang of Eric and the soothing radio voice of Jack who bring news and info to the Laravel community. So uh, thank you, uh, Nike Fido, for for writing that, we love five-star reviews. If you uh, feel like leaving us a five-star review, we'd be happy to read it on the air. And if you write one and you want us to say anything special, then just send us an email. Email address is podcast at laravel-news.com. And uh, we're always happy to hear from you. So, Eric, I think that's all the news we have this week. Does that sound right? It does. And I want to thank everybody for listening in. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. And thanks for telling your friends about us. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. This concludes this episode of the Laravel News Podcast. If you like the show, please rate it five stars on iTunes. If you have feedback for the podcast, please email us at podcast at laravel-news.com. Thanks for listening.